0: Uh, we're, we're continuing our, our summer sermon series uh, called Stories Old and New, and we're looking at some of the stories from the Old Testament, understanding that they're ancient stories, but still very relevant for us today, thus new, so it's kind of old and new. And at the same time, we're hearing current stories of faith like we did today. We heard Betty's story about how the ancient stories of the scripture have been made new in our lives today, so stories old and new. And mostly because our elementary students are with us in the service during the summer, we chose to read these stories from the Jesus Storybook Bible as maybe a fresh way to hear the old stories. So let's listen now to the story of Joseph, the Forgiving Prince.
1: Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all the colors of the rainbow. But it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king. Joseph told his brothers, and you all bowed down to me. Now I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that isn't a very good idea. (laughs) Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams, and one day that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dreamer, they thought, but they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life and even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use it all to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile, though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do, and even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown in jail. But God had not left Joseph one night. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a scary dream about about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? he didn 't know, but Joseph was a dream expert, so Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming. Joseph explained there won 't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by joseph 's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail, and made him a prince. Now back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food, and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt to buy food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. "'It's me,' Joseph cried. When they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned, and they knew it. Now Joseph would certainly punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers, and his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead, in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them." His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love, and Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around them. Don't be afraid, he said, behind what you were doing, underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world.
0: Thank you, Lauren when we were singing the song right before this message time here, my older son Jack leaned over and he said, hey, when are we going to get to the sermon time? (laughs) And I said, it's right after this song. He said, is it going to be short? (laughs) And I said, well, I'm probably going to shorten it a little bit. He's like, good, good. Make it like nine seconds. And and I asked him if I could share that, and he gave me his permission to do that. So I'm not. I'm going to do my best. I don't know if I can meet the nine second thing, but we'll we'll do a a little bit. I feel like we've had church in full already today, haven't we? Um. So the problem with the Jesus Storybook Bible, like trying to preach it, is you end up looking at ten chapters of scripture all at once, (laughs) which is overwhelming. Um. And good, all at the same time. So zoom out, look at the big Joseph story, and uh, you see what I might call some generational struggles. I don't know if you ever ever thought about that. I I either read or heard somewhere uh, that there are three big generational struggles, that the great struggle of youth is lust, the great struggle of the middle-aged is ambition, and the great struggle of the elderly is bitterness. And it's probably too simple, right? We're much more complex than that. We probably all struggle with all of those things. But I think we might see some of this generational struggle thing in Joseph's life. Two big ones. He struggled with indiscretion when he was young, a lack of wisdom and and good judgment. And then we see the result of his struggle with God. Specifically his struggle with how could God be real when my life has been so painful uh, how could God be real when there's so much evil in the world? I mean, how, how do I put all that together? And we, we get his kind of executive summary of that, which I think can serve for us as a guide as to how we might piece our lives together with those same realities, God, evil, suffering, the whole, the whole thing. Joseph said this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It's Genesis chapter 50 verse, verse 20. So I want to talk mostly about the struggle with the, the God's sovereignty, that thing today. But let me hit the indiscretion thing very quickly. Uh, the struggle with indiscretion. I have a personal example that was a... You, you know, you remember those times, those experiences that are real turning points for you. This one for me was in high school. I was on a water ski trip with a good uh, friend of mine. His family had a boat and a camper, and they did fun stuff like that. And we were down on the Ohio River. My friend David is the, the son of the family who, who took us, and he invited my friend Doug and myself to join them. And it was David, his parents, his grandparents, and his sister, and then the three high school guys. And the, uh, the parents, the grandparents, and the sister got the motor home, and we got the tent And so we're set up in a tent outside. Uh, As we arrived, we hadn't water-skied yet. That was coming the next day. But the three of us are in our tent, and pretty soon we heard a cat purring outside our tent. And we we looked, and there was a little stray cat. It was almost between a kitten and a full-grown cat. It wasn't quite full-grown. And we thought, oh, and we're petting the cat. We let the cat in the tent. We're taking care of it. And David's grandmother comes out of the motorhome, and she's shocked. That we're petting a stray cat. And she just gets a little uh, kind of worked up. She was kind of befuddled. She kind of lost herself for a moment. She came over and she said, What what are you doing? No, no, don't pet that. That's a stray cat. Don't pet that. You might get you might get scurvy. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> at which Doug and I kind of looked at her and went, <laughs> like, well, what are you? I I don't think we're going to get a vitamin C deficiency from petting a stray cat. But, uh, you know, we were high schoolers. And uh, if you're a high schooler, you're probably not in this place. Back then, we were too smart for our own good. And uh, so we understood we'll get rid of the cat. And I can't remember how we got the cat to go away, but we did. And then we're three guys back in the tent. and, And Doug and I just would not let off the gas, right? Scurvy. Are you kidding me? That's utterly ridiculous. That is, And all three of us are laughing. Doug and I keep pressing. That, oh, oh. Who would say that? That's, oh, oh. Pretty soon we see David's face. Right. It's his grandma. Totally dissing his grandma right in front of him. A little bit was okay, but we lacked good judgment. Right? It went too far. We weren't forecasting how our words would land in his spirit and what it would cause. Right? The learning of discretion. Uh, Joseph learned that. He had maybe a similar experience to his 11 brothers. Hey, I had this dream. There were 11 sheaves of wheat, And mine was standing upright, and yours bowed down to me. Uh, Like Doug and me in that tent with David, you know, Joseph was not forecasting the clearly predictable outcome of his words. There might be a time to talk about that and a way to talk about that. That was neither the time nor the way. So Joseph struggled with indiscretion or on the positive side learning discretion and, and good judgment and wisdom right and he made it he made it through those life lessons so struggle with indiscretion struggle with God struggle with God's sovereignty and evil and suffering in the world and I, I get that this might feel like a jump from a 101 class to a 501 class the, the learning of some basic life skills as to how to get by in the world with other people discretion to this really big question. How do I piece my whole life together, all the experiences of it, and remain a person of faith? Again, Joseph's summary, which I believe carries incredible wisdom and uh, also a summary of the whole scriptural teaching on this. Joseph's summary was this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring, about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So the central issue is this. If God is sovereign, all-knowing, and good, then what about evil? What about suffering? I mean, these gut-wrenching experiences that, that we have. Or translated to Joseph's story, you know, he had to wonder, if God is God, why does all this bad stuff keep happening to me? And his brother sold him into slavery, meant many years of deep suffering for him, uh, false accusations, imprisonment, the whole, the whole bit. He had to think to himself, "I believe in God, and more than that, I believe God." But what's going on? And again, here was his summary: You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. So two things about that, that verse on the screen there. The word meant in this verse, in the original language, the Hebrew, conveys the idea of intent or will. So you could read it, you, my 11 brothers, intended, willed evil against me, but God intended, willed it for good. And the other thing to note is the word it refers back to evil. Right? So God Intended the evil, even willed the evil, for good. Thus, the major rub, right? What do we do about this? Uh, how how could God intend or will evil for good, and still be good? How do those things go together? I mean, this this is a hard question. And if you're a follower of Christ and you've grappled with this, you know that there's no solid summary answer to this. But as one Christian writer notes, surely some answers are better than others. So let's think about the better answers to this. There's, there's a problem in the way we think about this often because we start with our assumptions rather than starting with what the Bible actually says. So some of us begin with the assumption that God controls everything that happens in the world, much like a a giant chess player. We're just the pawns and we go here or there as God moves us around on the chessboard of life. And this is a big problem. You have your own illustrations. The life experience that sticks in my mind illustrating this was an interview with a woman after the Columbine shooting in the late 90s her response was, just you watch. God made this happen for a reason. Ugh. What? I just can't accept that. That God orchestrated this like pawns on a chessboard and and he made this happen in that kind of way to bring about something else. Is that what the Bible teaches? I'll answer it. No. Um, but but it, it gets it gets to this kind of uh, we might call it the K Sera Serah syndrome, like what will be will be, this kind of fatalism. Like I'm just a pawn on the chessboard, you know. My role is just to take whatever comes in life and call it the will of God. Uh, this, this is actually quite a prevalent thing in Islamic theology. If you didn't know this, oftentimes the response to devastating things uh, that happen in life is simply this phrase: "It is the will of Allah." That leaves me with, you know, like nothing. Uh, So, we've got to figure this out. You know, in this way of thinking, you might begin to believe that God plans and executes all of the evil that happens in the world. So some begin with the assumption that God controls everything. Others begin with the assumption that things are happening in this world completely outside the control of God. And you press that to its logical conclusion and you arrive at God is not in control. God is not sovereign. There are things happening in the world outside of God's reign and rule. So let's not start with our assumptions. Let's start with what the Bible says. And this is where we get to the mystery because the Bible teaches three things very clearly. God is good, neither an accomplice of evil nor secretly malicious. Look at this verse from Deuteronomy. God is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. God is good, God is sovereign, but his sovereignty does not minimize our responsibility. And human beings are morally responsible creatures, but our choices never handcuff God or somehow yank something out of God's hands and put them in our control rather than, rather than God's. So according to the Bible, God is good, God is in control, evil is real, and human beings make decisions for which they're responsible And Joseph Joseph learned this through his struggle with God and coming to understand his life and specifically how his faith and his point of greatest suffering fit together. What do I do with this? His conclusion is straightforward and very much in line with the rest of the Bible. You, my brothers, intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Human beings were exercising their responsibility and willing something bad... And at the same time, because God is God and sovereign over all, God was willing that in a different way than the brothers were and for good. Now think, think about what Joseph didn't say. He didn't say his brothers did evil to him and God was kind of absent, but God showed up later on, intervened, and turned the whole thing around to make a happy story out of it. He did not say that his brothers completely screwed up God's plan for his life and he had to go on this 15-year hiatus from God's will for him. What Joseph does say is this. Look, look, guys, to his brothers now, the 11 of them, you did an evil thing, and you intended it for evil. You planned it. You pulled it off, and quite frankly, you're responsible for it. I forgive you, but you did that, and you're responsible for it, not God. And at the same time, God was working sovereignly in me in my being sold into slavery in Egypt for a good purpose, bringing about the good that is now coming. Both of these things are true. So you, my brothers, intended or willed evil. God, however, intended or willed good. So if we take the Bible seriously as our starting point for understanding God, then we can say this about God and evil. God stands behind good and evil in different ways. God intends good, but evil is not outside his reign and rule and control. And God does not intend evil, but it exists within his reign. Now I get that logically, you know, there's mystery there. It's both. Uh, but, but the evil, uh, scripturally, is never chargeable to God. God ends up always being chargeable to human disobedience. And the good that comes results from God's good intent and will in the world for helping people move forward in restoration with him. So there's mystery. We'll never completely solve it. But let's avoid both of the the ends of the continuum, right? That God plans and orchestrates all these things like moving us around on the chessboard to result in bad things happening or some things are completely outside of God's control and hey, I don't know why. Let's not get lost in the mystery of it. Let's hold the tension. I don't know if this is right or not. I liken it to three-dimensional people, uh, people living in a three-dimensional world maybe trying to understand a ten-dimensional reality. There's a bit of this that's just beyond us. But, but the presence of mystery does not mean we have to live in spiritual limbo land, in uncertainty about God. You know, Jesus is alive, the good news about Jesus is true, and a gospel realization awaits all of us in this specific issue. See, that realization has many facets. It starts with the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead and is indeed alive right now, and it works our way through our entire being. If you've been present for this series or if you know the Jesus Storybook Bible, you might remember the the message that Pastor Marcia gave about the terrible lie. This is the way the Jesus Storybook Bible summarizes Genesis chapter 3, or the the fall of of mankind. And here's a, a part of that story. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? for you perhaps god doesn't want you to be happy the snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk deep down into her heart like poison does god love me eve wondered suddenly she didn't know anymore and a terrible lie came into the world it would never leave it would live on in every human heart whispering to every one of god's children God doesn't love me. The terrible lie tries to infect our hearts through this question of God and evil and suffering. You can see it clearly if you have eyes to see it. Most of the questions around this big mystery come down to this. Does God love me? Or is God that cosmic tyrant the snake says he is? Friends, when, when the gospel realization meets the question of God and evil and suffering, here's what comes out. God is good and God is sovereign. Therefore, God's good purposes can never be thwarted by anyone anywhere. Anywhere at any time this is what Job realized through all of his suffering look what he said I know that you can do all things O God and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted it's what the psalmist realized God is our refuge and our strength and ever present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though my whole life fall apart, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. It's what Jonathan Edwards realized, that great 18th century pastor and theologian. By his own account, he struggled with God's sovereignty for years, and then came to a realization. Here's what he wrote. From my childhood up, my mind had been full of objections against the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It used to appear like a horrible doctrine to me. But there has been a wonderful alteration in my mind so that I scarce ever have found so much as the rising of an objection against it. I have often since had not only a conviction, but a delightful conviction. The doctrine has very often appeared exceedingly pleasant, bright, and sweet. Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. You know, God is good, and God is sovereign. Therefore, God's good purpose is for our lives can never be thwarted by anyone, anywhere, at any time. This is good news. This isn't just good news, this is amazing news. It means that in God's goodness, God's sovereignty covers our calamities. Wow! Don't give the terrible lie the time of day, it's a lie. God loves you and is for you, God is good. And God is sovereign and nothing anywhere ever can stop God's good intentions for your life. It's what the Apostle Paul realized. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Any of the difficulties we face in life? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God is good and God is sovereign. Therefore, God's good purposes can never be thwarted by anyone, anywhere, at any time. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we do not understand everything. And we struggle sometimes to believe everything that the Bible says about you. Help us in that struggle, God. Help us to claim as our own all of the things that you say in Scripture, that you are good, that you're sovereign, that we have responsibility, that evil is real, that you're not just moving us around like pawn pieces on a chessboard. But there's more going on here. God, help us to trust you in this. And if at any point in our struggle, in our doubt, even in our grappling with this mystery, if at any point the terrible lie is trying to creep in and convince us that you don't really love us, God, put up a shield. Open our eyes that we might see that, that quiet invasion and call it out in the name of Jesus. God, we love you. Thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.